Well, maybe it started out for you like it did for Brad. He'd been a student for three years when it all clicked. The minister was preaching on God's love and particularly God's love and dying for those who were so flawed. And something happened that night in Brad's heart, and he knew that all he wanted to do was serve Jesus. And for perhaps a good long while, serving Jesus for you was, was like David's experience. He loved his new church. The fellowship meal had been great, and he was starting to make some friends with other people there in the church. And, and after the meal, the pastor asked him to help put some stage blocks back in the storage loft. And he joined a group of guys there, lifting those uh, stage blocks back into, the, into position. And it was a great fun and good laugh. And afterwards, the pastor uh, thanked him for being an example of joyful service. And that Sunday, David went home praising God. He liked serving Jesus. He was going to enjoy being part of this church. But after some time, maybe for you, things started to subtly change like they did for Martin. He began to relax as he walked home from church. His work was finished. He'd opened up the church, sorted out the chairs, done the children's talk, and cleaned up afterwards. Finally, he felt free. He'd done his duty. Now the rest of this beautiful Sunday was his. He could relax and enjoy himself. And perhaps for some of you, things have even progressed to the point where Sophie found herself. She spent her summer running the children's club for the church, and it had been, frankly, exhausting. The cleanup had finished her off. And just as she got home and collapsed onto the sofa, the phone rang. It was a guy from the church. Could she get the bread for communion next morning? It'd only be a 10-minute walk. She said, yes, of course. But inside, Sophie was seething, furious, well, with Jesus. She'd been serving him all week, all summer, in fact. She'd been the only one who stayed behind to clean up. Everyone else was at home relaxing. And now she had to go and get the bread. Couldn't Jesus just give her a break? How can you and I avoid this downward spiral from enthusiastic joy to bitter resentment in serving Jesus? I'm going to be borrowing heavily this morning, without apology but with credit given, from a book called Serving Without Sinking, How to Serve Christ and Keep Your Joy by a guy named John Henley. I'd recommend it to you, though you will have the essence of it by the time we're done this morning. How's that for a preacher's confession of where he got his message? How can you and I avoid this downward spiral from enthusiastic joy to bitter resentment in serving Jesus? How can we, more importantly, move back to joy from anything less in our hearts as we serve Jesus. I want to talk to you this morning from a myriad of passages about serving Jesus joyfully. You see, we can serve Jesus joyfully when we are energized by our grace relationship with Him. And I want to submit to you this morning, that's the only way that you can consistently and long-term serve Jesus with joy is if, in fact, you are continuing to be energized by your grace relationship with Him. Let's just talk like a family this morning. Can we do that, church? The first thing I want to talk to you about is this. Sometimes we serve Jesus for all the wrong reasons. 
Sometimes you look at your life, you find yourself in that place where you're somewhere not at joy, just absolute rejoicing, loving the privilege of serving Jesus. You're somewhere south of there on that downward spiral. And you find yourself serving Jesus for all the wrong reasons. Check out this diagram with me as we get started. This is kind of where we're going in the next few minutes. Skewed service to Jesus. There's a way to serve Jesus that's wrong. There's a lot of ways to serve Jesus that's wrong. We can be skewed in three different directions in serving Jesus. The first one is toward God. We can be serving others or serving God trying to be good enough for Him or to get something from Him, or to pay Him back. Skewed ways of serving Jesus. The other way uh, that we can get skewed in our service to Jesus is that as we're serving Jesus, we're actually more worried about others. We're actually serving Jesus to impress other people or to belong to the group that we're around. The third direction in which we can be skewed as we serve Jesus is toward ourselves. We can actually be serving Jesus, so to speak, but really believing we're serving Jesus because Jesus needs me. Like without me, he'd be having a struggle on planet earth. Or on the other extreme of things, we can be self-focused as we serve, thinking that we don't need Jesus. It's a prayerless service. We, 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 we can serve Jesus very well, and thank you so much. So this, this is where we're going. Serving Jesus for all the wrong reasons. Those are all the wrong reasons in all the wrong directions. So let's break it down. Our serving may be wrong, may be for all the wrong reasons, because we've got a skewed view of God, first of all. If we've got a skewed view of God, we may be serving, first of all, to to be good enough for Him. I love the parable in Luke 18 where Jesus tells the story, to some, it says, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men, he says, went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. That I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this guy over here. Who let him in? This tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus shocks this crowd of people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, if we think we can ever be good, and especially good enough for God... In our service to Jesus, we are so radically self-deceived. We can only, like the tax collector, cry out all the days of our lives, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And yet after years of church work, sometimes we actually believe We actually believe about ourselves that we can actually get to a place or we've actually arrived at a place where God has to be proud. Just so you know, I'm not just pointing a finger. I've been at this a long time. And everything I'm preaching this morning, I've thought and felt. And yet, What a skewed view of God we have if we think we can serve Jesus to please and be good enough for God. The second way we might recognize a skewed view of God in our service to Jesus, in quotes, is that we're serving to get something from Him. 
You know, Luke chapter 15 is famous for three parables. The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the prodigal son, right? And they all three make the same point, that God rejoices over sinners who come to him, who turn from sin and, and run to him. But in the middle of that, in Luke 15, 25 to 30, we learn about not just the prodigal son, but the older son. Listen to these verses. Now, his older son... You remember the, the, the younger son? He'd gone off, taken his inheritance, gone off, partied his life away till he ended up in a pigsty, lower than low. And he thought, if I can only be a slave in my father's house, it'll be a better life than this. He goes home, he tries that practice speech, doesn't even get through with it. The father runs to him, treats him as he is his son, and throws a feast for him. Well, in verse 25 of Luke 15, here's the older brother's response. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, doesn't even call him his brother, this son of yours come came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You see, the older brother wanted his faithfulness to his dad to earn him something more than than his dad gave his scallywag of a brother, right? He felt like his father owed him something. After all, he never run off with the inheritance and spent it on prostitutes. And... What we learn is it was the somethings from the father that the son really wanted, not the father. The gifts of his father was really what the older son wanted, just as bad as a younger son had when he took it and ran. The joy of his relationship with his father wasn't enough, and such is the heart of the one who serves Jesus to get something from him. What a skewed view of God. The father would later say to this same son, Son, you have been with me and have all that I have. You're my son. And yet to the older brother, his father was a means of getting things. He had to earn his place. He wanted to deserve more from his father. The third way we see a skewed view of God is if we're serving Jesus to pay him back. This makes our service to him about us. We work for him to make ourselves feel good for what we're giving back to him. We know we didn't deserve salvation. But we work with the mindset that we're paying him back. Let me, let me go ahead and say it out loud. You will never in all of eternity pay back the infinite gift of grace from Jesus to you. You can't. And we know it, and yet we'd still try. Some of the ones that just amen, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not pointing fingers. Again, I'm, I'm with you. We know that, and yet we still sometimes live like that. And we make our service to him about us. Because it's really just making ourselves feel better. When we work and serve Jesus to pay him back, we're saying that we don't really trust his grace and forgiveness. You see, if we really think serving Jesus is about paying him back, then it shows we don't really believe that he's given salvation as a what? A gift. You don't pay people back for gifts, do you? If you pay people back, let me say this. If somebody lets you pay them back for a gift, let me tell you what that was. It was never a gift. 
And you need to make a, make, 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 a, make a, a note. You need to check that off. You need to understand they don't give gifts. Right? They attach strings to everything to manipulate your life somewhere down the road. Okay? Y'all all right? And you see, when we live to pay God back in serving Jesus, that's what we're saying about God. He didn't really mean it. He's not really that good of a God to give me salvation, 100% grace, freely. There's a string attached somewhere, so here's the deal. Before he pulls the string, before down the road he manipulates me and, and, and gives me that, you know, bring, come, comes out with that shocker moment that all of a sudden I owe for the last 10 years, I'm going to start working now, so I'm ready to pay. That's what we're saying about God. People that give real gifts won't take your money. They won't take your work. They don't want you to give something back to them. They love you and they're giving you a gift and they want you just to do what? Take it. So when we work as if we have to serve, as if we have to pay him back, we're saying we don't really trust his grace and his forgiveness. And we make ourselves, thirdly, we're trying to make ourselves partners with God in our own salvation as we do our part. Again, this way of serving says that grace is a great concept, but we all really know we have to do our part. I mean, everyone does. It can't be all. God's work, that's just too good to be true. And again, we say more about God and how we live our lives than we do in what we say about God. You see, our serving may be for all the wrong reasons because we've got a skewed view of God, but it could be that our serving... Maybe for all the wrong reasons, because we've got a skewed view of others. We may be serving to impress others. You know what Jesus said about this in Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Here's pretty, here, I'm pretty sure this is what Jesus is trying to say. He never calls these people hypocrites, but he warns them. And I think what he's saying is that if you do what you do for God to be seen of others and to impress other people, you are a hypocrite because... You have said, and and based on what you're signed up to do, you're saying you're doing that for God, but you're doing it for someone else. How many of you, along with your preacher, would confess that you've tried to impress somebody in church work before? Okay? Jesus ain't about it. And In fact, what he says is, here's the deal. You you better do real good impressing them because that's the only reward you get. The Father has none for you. Because he knows you didn't do it for him. He's no dummy. He sees all things. And Jesus says, man, I hope they clap loud and long for you. Because there'll be no praise from heaven. Sometimes our... Serving may be for all the wrong reasons because our view of others is skewed and we're serving to impress. But another possibility is that we're serving to belong to their group. We, we have this need for acceptance by people. These are closely linked. But this is not just wanting applause. This is wanting to be let in. An unspoken expectation of something like this. Everyone in our group does church stuff. You know, around the American church, I mean, there's that, there's, there's that reality in there. I mean, you know, hey, welcome to our church. And, you know, three months later, hey, everybody in our group, we, we just do church stuff. And so, I mean, you've got to be part of the group, right? So what do you do? You, you do church stuff. Because you want to be accepted by the church. You'll be part of the group. 
But thirdly, not only our, may our serving be for all the wrong reasons because we have a skewed view of God, a skewed view of others, but maybe a skewed view of ourselves. We serve as if Jesus needs me. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me then. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see, Martha forgot that the one she was scurrying around for was actually giving her breath and holding the universe together all at the same time. She forgot that Jesus didn't need her to serve him. And then in that moment, as the son of the living God was in her home, what, what, what the greatest need in that room was was for her to listen to Jesus, to just be with him, to hear what he had to say, to let the truth of God flow into her life through the Son of God. You see, it's like it says in Acts 17, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Jesus does not need us to serve him. I was in a restaurant this week and and undoubtedly, um, I'm thinking it was Buddhist, and they were Buddhist, obviously. And 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 there was there was little cups of tea, and there was uh, tangerines laying there with incense burners and and all this, as if they needed to feed their god. The Old Testament is full of times when. God is mocking the nations through uh, his prophets and at times even his own people for their idolatry and talking about these gods that are crafted and made and have to be washed and carried around. They can't walk. How can they do anything for you? Our God does not need us to serve him. He's doing just fine running the universe without us. Has been for all of eternity and will be. For all of eternity. Sometimes we get off track in our service to Jesus because we serve as if Jesus needs us. What if I don't do it? What if? If you don't, by the way, somebody else just might go ahead and do it. That's actually gifted and called. And not motivated by some sort of self-importance that says Jesus needs me. But sometimes we serve with a skewed view of ourselves, serving as if I don't need Jesus. You say, I don't know what that means. Well, let's break it down. John Henley in, this, in his book said, this, this is the service of the competent Christian who is busy and able and too busy to pray. To be able to need to beg Jesus for help. They're the ones when things need to slow down for a prayer time, don't slow down. Y'all go ahead. I just, much, else, much else to do. We've got uh, serving for Jesus to do. I mean, they got a tick almost, don't they? You. I, when I've been in that place. Mark chapter 9, verse 29. And when he'd entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Someone had come to the disciples and said, my son's got a demon. They tried, but it didn't work. 
So they come to Jesus and they say, why couldn't we cast out this demon? You gave us your authority. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples got so excited about serving Jesus that they forgot to be dependent on Jesus. And they went out to change the world depending on themselves a whole lot more than they were depending on the one who sent them and empowered them. Who with a simple request, God help us as we intervene in this young boy's life to rescue him, deliver him from this demonic oppression. If, if, that's all it would have taken and, and the demon would have come out. Why? Because God is more powerful than demons. But the disciples are not more powerful than demons. Church people, we're not more powerful than the enemy. And sometimes yet we serve as if we don't need Jesus. Perhaps this is one of the most revealing ways we serve. And I'm too often guilty of believing the underlying assumption, uh, the underlying assumption here that somehow I can, I am capable of serving Jesus without Jesus. And this is a good place for me to interject this. My greatest, one of my greatest burdens for this church, for you, as your pastor, is this very point. I fear that we serve Jesus without needing Jesus. As if we don't need Jesus. I, 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 I ask God to keep us from ever, even in our hearts, much less allowed saying, we can serve Jesus without Jesus. And by the way, again, let me, let me give you the, 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 the symptom that that might be in my heart or in yours or in ours. Prayerlessness. So here's what unites all of these wrong reasons for serving Jesus. When we serve, John Henley says, for any of these reasons, we will give up ultimately. These motivations for service are limited. They all lead to the same place. The dull drudgery of cheerless duty. Someone is there today. They lead us to be bitter with God, annoyed with others, Desperately disappointed with ourselves. And when we reach that place, hear this, we are not far off giving up on loving Jesus. So we give up even while we keep going in service to Jesus. We're kind of like Jim in Jim's heart. Christ Jesus is not a good God. He's a distant taskmaster. Faith is choking to death under the weight of service in the heart of Jim. This is what it feels like to be motivated in our service by a wrong view of God or of others and of ourselves. Jim is not a real person. In fact, he's a whole lot of real people. And if you can see some of Jim in you, then it's well worth thinking hard about whether you need to give up serving in whatever that way is that makes you feel that weight. It would be better, hear me, it would be better for you to give up serving now than to give up serving in a year because you've given up on loving Jesus. Our hearts can rest in our relationship with Jesus and be energized to serve Him with joy. That is real in the life of a believer. Back to Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. Come to me, Jesus said. Listen to these words. Listen carefully to what He says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's church work sometimes, amen? It's okay. Amen? Deacons? Amen? Y'all all right? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But then after he says he's going to give rest, he says he's going to give a yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, here it is again, rest. Even with a yoke, you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What does he mean? You see, we can only understand what Jesus means if we understand the grace relationship we have with him. We can serve Jesus joyfully when we are energized by our grace relationship with him. Sometimes we find ourselves serving Jesus for all the wrong reasons, but here's the deal. I want you to go home today serving Jesus from the right relationship. Serving Jesus from the right relationship. Always our greatest need is the gospel and what it tells us that Jesus has done for us. It's always our greatest need. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, we learn about our Savior. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, you're going to, if you're a good Bible scholar, and many of you are, you know this text better than I do. You know what he just said before this. He just called the disciples to live as servants, right? To serve God. And he uses Jesus' service as an example. But don't miss the heart and the beauty and the glory of the service of Christ. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. To serve who? To serve you. To serve me. And how did he do it? He gave his life as a ransom for many. We're to serve Jesus from the right relationship, that grace relationship we have with him, where we realize afresh, he came to this earth to serve me. And he gave his life to ransom my soul. Henley again says, the way to serve without sinking is to get grips with the strange reality that Christians are not first and foremost servants. They are first and foremost served people. Christianity is about Jesus, the God who serves his people. We've just been looking at it in Romans chapter 5, amen? For while we were still weak, Romans 5 verse 6, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, when you had no interest in serving Jesus, Jesus died for you. Before it was a thought or even a, a, a vague possibility that you would do anything to contribute to the kingdom of the living God, God sent his son to die for ungodly sinners like me and you. You see, Christianity, the gospel, is about the grace relationship given. It's about Jesus serving us. That's what makes it stand out. That's grace. That's the craziness of of the Christian gospel. There's no other message, no other religion like it that says God comes to be strong and work on behalf of those who will just simply take the gift he's given. It's crazy. And yet this is the message. As Henley says, there is nothing more terrible and wonderful in all of history than the day when the unique and glorious Son of Man displayed the glory of His love for us by dying our death, enduring our hell, paying our ransom. To follow Jesus is not about serving Him. It is about sitting at His feet and listening to Him, the one who has done all we need. You see, we can Serve Jesus joyfully when we are energized by our grace relationship with him. And this grace relationship is described in God's word by four different pictures. I want to to run through these quickly, and I don't want you to miss this. What we're about to look at will radically change how you do what you do in ministry, in service to Jesus. Don't miss this. The Bible says, first of all, that we are Jesus' friends. What does it mean that we're saved? When we talk about coming to God and being justified, well, let's, let's put some pictures on that. What does that mean? It means, first of all, that Jesus has made us his friends. We are Jesus' friends. John 15, 15, he says to his disciples, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you 
friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Again, some of you sharp Bible scholars know he's talking to the disciples. He's not talking to you, he's not talking to me, but he's talking to the disciples. But here's what happened when he, when he, about what he just said. He, he, he unfolded his plan to the apostles, those 12 followers of his, and God used them to write what we call the New Testament in the Word of God. And so now, in 2019, you and I can open up the New Testament and read the stuff that, 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 that the apostles wrote in the New Testament which was exactly what Jesus said he was up to in this world because they were Jesus' friends. And suddenly, you and I, by proxy through the New Testament word, can know what Jesus is up to, and we are the friends of Jesus. Did y'all catch that? Because we know what he's up to. We're not just servants doing what we're told to do, not asking any questions. Yours is but to do or not, not to ask questions why. Yours is but to do or die, Alfred Lord Tennyson. No, we are his friends. He's told us at least some of why he does what he does. We get to serve Jesus as his friends as those he gave his life for and then trusted with knowing and being part of his plans in this world. But secondly, and I don't know, this one just gets me, this one gets me fired up. We're not just Jesus' friends, we're Jesus' bride. And every day, listen, every day we need to slow down to remember these four pictures I'm unfolding. We're Jesus' bride, Hosea 3, verse 1. You say, we're talking about the New Testament a while ago. There you go, jumping back to the Old Testament. Yeah, because it's the, it's the prettiest picture, one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus' bride, how he loves us in all of Scripture. In Hosea 3, verse 1, the Lord said to me, this is Hosea the prophet speaking. So God is talking to Hosea, and he says, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even... As the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. You say, what just happened? God came to his prophet, Hosea, and he said, here's the deal. I want you to go marry a loose woman. I want you to go marry an adulteress. She, can't, she cannot even spell faithful wife. She's a prostitute of prostitutes because she don't even have to have money to do what she does. She just sins in adultery and likes it. Hosea, man of God, go marry her. For those of us who have answered the call to ministry, we thank God that he's not working the same way he did in the Old Testament through his New Testament preachers. Amen. Can you imagine? And so Hosea goes, and he, and he marries her. And he said, you're going to stay, and, he, and this text goes on, you're going to stay here, you're going to be a faithful wife, I'm going to love you. She said, okay, honey. Three days later, she's gone. You know what God tells him then? Go find her. By the time he finds her, she sold herself into sex slavery. He has to pay money to buy her back. What's the point? Some of y'all are going to go home and check this out because you never read this in the Bible. You're not, you're not even sure you believe that it's in there, but it's in there. Read the whole book of Hosea. Here's the point. God says, Hosea, I want you to do this even, and I want you to love her even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. You're a picture for my nation. This is how I love you. Well, just take that to the New Testament. You got this? You with me? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hello? While we were, Gomer was the wife's name, while we were Gomer in the bed of another man, Hosea came looking for me. Jesus died on the cross to rescue me from my sin slavery that I had chosen and jumped into headlong. You see, when we serve Jesus, we serve our groom. We serve as his friends, yes, but more than that, we serve as his bride that he sought out. 
Jesus had to pay the price of his own blood to buy us out of slavery. On the cross, that's what he did. And we will never appreciate the depth and wonder of the love of Christ unless we admit the depth and horror of our spiritual adultery. There's only one hero in the church's marriage to the church, John Henley says, and it's not the church. Ever. No preacher's a hero in the kingdom of God. No believer, no follower of Christ is ever the hero in this marriage we have to him. He and he alone is the hero because he's Hosea and we're Gomer. The cross and resurrection and God drawing us to personal faith in Jesus, that was the wedding ceremony, if you will. He's our groom, we're his bride. We are his and we're married now. But we're in that time, you know, you know how you go to a wedding ceremony and, and you have the, the vows, you go through the ceremony, right? And then what I always say is, um, if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always asked, so, so here's the thing, the, the, the wedding party, the bride and groom in the wedding party, you're going to be taking some pictures, there's going to be a little, little, little downtime for you guys, but if you go on out to the reception, you can get started on, you know, refreshments and whatever. There's, there's a gap between the ceremony and the party, right? We're in the gap. We hadn't got to the reception yet and to the fullness of living married life with Jesus yet. But the Bible tells us what it's going to be like. You ready? Some of y'all need to stand up, so let's just stand up. Mid-sermon, stand up. Revelation 19. I don't want you to miss this. This is your wedding reception. You, You need to know what's coming, Amen. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God Almighty, the the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. That's us. It was granted her, us, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen, this is so important, don't miss this, is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's your service to Jesus. We're going to come back to it. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. An angel said to John one day, every person who's been invited to this wedding reception who's the bride of the groom, the Lamb of God, blessed are you. Man, you ought to be living off the fuel of the happiness that you get to go to that wedding reception. And can I just go ahead and say, and you ought to be serving off of that same happiness. Amen? No other reason. Joy in Jesus. Wow. Notice again, verse 8. It was, you can, I'm sorry, you can be seated. <laughs> Y'all almost stood up for the rest of the message. Notice again, verse 8. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. A couple things about this I want you to understand. It was granted her to clothe herself. What does that mean? Can I, can I translate it a little different way? Somebody in heaven let her dress herself with these fine linens, bright and pure. What does that mean? <laughs> well, if one of you ladies lets another lady wear her dress, what does that mean? You're letting her wear your dress. It's not her dress. She can't demand to wear that dress. She gets to wear that dress because you granted it to her that she might wear and borrow your beautiful dress. Who you reckon's given this dress to the bride in this picture? I'm guessing, just guessing, it's a wild guess. It's usually the right answer. Jesus. For you see, it's Jesus who produced the righteous deeds of the saints in the first place by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Y'all with me? Is this all coming together all of a sudden? Are you seeing serving Jesus differently? I hope so. 
Jesus will give us our wedding dress and it will be beautiful, woven from a life of service to him that he has enabled and given to us as a gift. Even our service to Jesus is his doing and working for, in, and through us. You see, we get to serve Jesus as his bride, as those bought back from sin slavery with his own life. As those he is daily cleansing and changing to be more like him. That's a whole other passage, Ephesians 5, we didn't have time for this morning. And as those who will one day sit down at our wedding reception with him for the whole universe to see as his beloved bride before we enter into that wedding chamber of eternity and enjoy our union with Jesus like we never have forever and ever and ever. Amen. This is what it means to serve Jesus from a right relationship. Where is we're his friends. We're his bride. We're, thirdly, his brothers and sisters. Back to the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. The prodigal, he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to, the father, said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He wasn't done with his speech, but the father interrupts and says to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For this son, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You see, we serve Jesus in the right relationship of realizing we are undeserving sons. We are Jesus' brothers and sisters. We shouldn't be in the family. But the Father rejoices when he draws us home through faith in Jesus. And that changes everything, especially how we live and serve Jesus every day. Can't you just imagine it? John Henley helps us. Surely that younger son would have whistled with glee as he walked into the fields to work the next day with his dad. Don't you imagine? Suddenly what he had grown up doing and hating, man, he couldn't wait to wake up the next morning and be a son and work in the father's house. The day before, he'd woken up in a pigsty, hoping that he might possibly end up at the end of that day before in a servant's dorm. Instead, he, he, he woke up a son in the big house with daddy in all the finest clothes with a job to do tomorrow, with the joy of laboring in the fields alongside of his father all day long. And all season long till the harvest was done. And he just whistled his way to work. You see, we get to work with our Heavenly Father. Not because he needs our help. But because he enjoys our company. The last picture of serving Jesus out of a right relationship is this. The Bible does call us servants... In fact, the word is really slaves. Last picture I want us to look at, I hope it can tie, you, you, may, you, don't, you can't forget the first three as we talk about this one. We are Jesus' slaves. But oh, what a happy slavery. Understand before we read these verses, we are slaves who are friends, bride, and sons and daughters. Romans 6, 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. We were in chains and the slavery was oppressive of sin, but we've been set free and we've become slaves of righteousness. How do we live as slaves of righteousness been talking about it all morning from the time we sang the last song. By the power of Jesus as he indwells us by his spirit. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit who, of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Let me tell you about living... According to the flesh, that's serving for all the wrong reasons, the stuff we looked at a while ago. A wrong view of God, a wrong view of others, a wrong view of ourselves as the motivations for why we serve Jesus. That's living to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
Let me just make that even clearer. Church work done that way will kill you. Uh, let me take it a step further. According to this passage in Romans uh, 8 here, it'll damn your soul. How serious is it how you serve in the church? Chad, is it not just enough? Look, I'm doing it. I- I'm doing my stuff. No, it's not. If you're serving for the wrong reasons, your soul can be endangered by your church work. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And I'll just interject that I do believe at points in our Christian service there is sacrifice and it hurts. You might even say you have to suffer a little bit in serving Jesus But when you put it in perspective, when you realize you're joint heirs with Jesus of God, and you can call him Abba, Father, what a sweet slavery. Now do you hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 11 differently? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, in heart. He's a different kind of master. He served you first, hear me, and he's still serving you today by the power of his indwelling spirit to enable you to do what he calls you to do in service to him. He's still going to be the supplier of grace and power. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the deal. You can serve and have joy and rest all at the same time. You can work hard for Jesus. You can serve in the church and through the the body of Christ around the world and give your life sacrificially to that and wear yourself out, physically speaking, in doing that and have joy and rest in your soul. Is that how you're serving today? You see, we can serve Jesus joyfully when we're energized by our grace relationship with Him. So there's a threefold invitation as we close. First of all, to any lost here today, this, this message has clearly been mainly to the church to those in the body of Christ who are, who, who are busy serving Jesus. It's been a time for them to look at themselves, but here's the deal. Jesus says to you, sir, you ma'am, who may not know Jesus today, come to me. All you who labor, because there's a labor under sin, and you're heavy laden by the guilt and the condemnation that you dread from Almighty Holy God. And Jesus says if you'll come to him, he'll give you rest. And he'll give you a whole new life where there is no condemnation ever again from God, but rather you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And when God looks at you, he sees you as holy as Jesus, the Son of the living God, is himself. You can know this relationship, this grace relationship with God the Father today. And above all, we want to settle that for you if if you need that settled today. So see me at the end of this time. But church, for you, a twofold invitation. One, I want to invite you today to give up a ministry because your love for Jesus has shriveled up and you need to spend some time refreshing your heart in this grace relationship you have with Jesus so that your joy in Jesus and only then in ministry fills your heart. The preacher just invited you to quit something at church. Because, you see, if you're serving for any of these wrong reasons we've talked about this morning, if your view of God, others, or yourself is skewed, that stuff's going to kill you. Serving that way will wear you out. And here's the deal. It's not empowered by the Spirit of God. Therefore, it can't do any eternal good. And, and as you start to say, well, somebody's got no... No, somebody doesn't have to do it. If somebody has to do it, God, by His Spirit, will make sure somebody does and that they do it in the power of His Spirit. Now, something else can happen besides you quit and you can, you can just figure this thing out internally, amen, and just start 
doing the same thing you've been doing differently, right? From a heart of joy, with a gladness in, in, in the grace of God and Jesus, just motivated totally. You quit caring about what people think. Quit trying to earn anything with God and what you're doing. Get over yourself. And love Jesus and what he's done for you with all your heart. And then serve. I mean, you, you can do that all internally without quitting. I like that option better. But if you need to quit, quit. Because what I don't want you to lose is your love for Jesus. The church at Ephesus had a lot of things right. But in Revelation, you know what, you know what Jesus said to them? You've, you've left your first love. You're busy. You're doing stuff. But your passion for Jesus is, is going, and if that keeps on, you're, you're going to cease to be a church. Second invitation. There's just this truth. Church, if we're healthy friends, brides, brothers and sisters, servants of Jesus, healthy friends, brides, brothers, servants, do serve. Amen? Y'all, right, hello. Amen? I, I mean, let me just, let me, that was weak, and we got we to clarify this before we go any further in the invitation. <laughs> I mean, did you hear what I said about being friends and brides and brothers and slaves? If I'm the bride of, if I'm Gomer, and Jesus came after me, I mean, did you not feel that Holy Spirit-moved desire to love Jesus with your life well up in you? It happened, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, so, so, so healthy, I mean, if that's connecting at all, healthy friends, brides, brothers, servants of Jesus do serve. How can they not? And they do it in a myriad of ways. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, you can look at those places later. You're familiar with those passages that describe the body of Christ and the fact that the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of each of us as believers, makes His presence known in different ways in different lives. It's a beautiful tapestry of grace throughout the body of Christ. And so, 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 so the way God uses, you know, uses Kent is not the same way he uses me. And, it's not the same, and that's not the same way he uses Stacy or Bobby or, or Ronald or whoever. And, 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 and you, just, you just start looking around. There's, a, there's uniqueness to all of us and the ways that God shows his grace and the presence of his spirit in our lives. And they're all needed to make the body healthy. And they're all to serve the common good and the glory of the one who died for us all and indwells us all. As John Henley says, so we serve long and hard and joyfully and sacrificially and lovingly and obediently working for our master who is our friend, our husband, our brother. Because of who we are, we can serve Christ and keep our joy. In fact, we can serve Christ and increase our joy. With joy, figure out today how you can respond to the grace relationship with Jesus that you enjoy in service. And in, listen, and in that service, pursue greater joy. That's how I want every one of you to serve Jesus believing and enjoying the, the grace that you have in Him, but serving Him in such a way that you're increasing your joy. And so immediately following the service, you have the opportunity. Maybe you're here today, you're new to our church. Maybe you're not so new to our church. You're just not plugged in. You're just not serving. Maybe it's because you had a skewed view of God, others or yourself, but today you've seen the beauty and the glory of the grace relationship we have with Jesus. You understood for the first time that you're friends of Jesus. That's how he thinks of you. You're his bride. You're his brother. He's your master. And you want to get plugged in after church today. A couple things going on. Your deacons are going to honor our widows with a, with a nice luncheon today. At a difficult time of year for those of us who've lost spouses sometimes here around Valentine's Day. So that's going to be going on right out here. It's not a church-wide meal. Just need to say that. <laughs> Or our widows will not have enough lunch. And so we want to honor them. This is not for you. Sorry, guys, but we'll do a fellowship another day. Down the hall, though, on your way out by the welcome desk is a church-wide ministry fair. 
all the church's ministries are represented. There'll be somebody there with some information about all the different ways you can plug into the body of Christ here. I've said it before. I will never guilt you into service. If I do, I want you to come to me and tell me. You, you, you use guilt today. I want you to tell me that. And I'll confess it from the pulpit that it was wrong. But this message is intended to motivate you with joy into ministry. Everybody good with that? You see, if you're not serving, you're not healthy. You're a finger that's, you know how you used to do, wrap, wrap up a finger with a rubber band? It's really dangerous. Kids don't do that. Bad. Cutting off the blood supply, kill that finger. That's how you're living your life when you separate yourself from the body and, and when you separate yourself from the joy, the increasing joy of service to Him. So you got that opportunity on your way out today. Let's pray together.